Oh man, <clears throat> welcome back, part three of my uh, journey with my narcissist. So, um, yeah, I think I'll just kind of dive right into it. I think our last episode, it brought me from, you know, the few times that I had tried to escape living with my narcissist. I'm sure there's some many, many spots that I didn't really include, um, more specifics of different things. So, um, I think I'm going to, in future episodes, kind of go into different characteristics to look for in a narcissist, different characteristics to look for specifically in a female narcissist or in a covert narcissist, um, or even an overt narcissist, um, you know, hopefully speak with other people as well. So, uh, then I can kind of go back and highlight these different points in my life, um, especially once you have a little bit of a backstory and hopefully this can be, um, you know, eye opening things for you or, or trigger warnings for you to red flags, um, for future relationships, um, how to heal, um, from a lot of this stuff. Um, I haven't really put a lot of thought into what I'm going to say today. I think sometimes a lot of the, a lot of this stuff just kind of flows naturally. And I just kind of think about the timeline of everything. So, um, I think it's as, as helpful to me, um, releasing this stuff as I, as I hope it, it will be for you hearing it and recognizing that you're not alone going through it. So the last episode, it, you know, the abuse had started. Um, my son was still young at this point. Um, I had tried leaving her, um, didn't really have anywhere to go, ended up staying with a friend's parents, which was super awkward. I mean, being a guy in your, you know, thirties or I think I was in my early thirties or late twenties, you know, living with someone else's parents in a state, you know, halfway across the country from where you grew up with no one was, it was pretty intimidating. It was pretty uncomfortable. I, I've never felt, you know, as low as I did at that moment, which was a perfect time for the narcissist to kind of sweep up and sweep in and, you know, carry me right back into that trap. Um, which is where I was. And at that point I'd given up, I'd given up on trying, um, to leave. I'd given up on, um, I'd basically surrendered to the narcissist and that this is my life. And, you know, I don't want the hell, um, and go through that hell again of the incessant calls every day of why would you do this in the up and down roller coaster of, um, basically fuck you. Um, I hate you to, I'm sorry, I see what I've done now. I see where I wronged you. I love you. Please come back to me. Um, the wide range of emotions, um, you know, I hope you get hit by a car and die to, um, I'll never treat you better. Um, if you come back to me, I'll treat you better than you've ever been treated type, you know, dialogue. It was just a wide range of, of, chaos and manipulation and confusion and stress. And I just wanted my phone to stop ringing. But at the same time, I'm so empathetic. I couldn't just shut off my phone or ignore it. I did at points, but not to the extent as I should have. Um, and so I moved back in and at that point, I decided I'm going to be determined to make this work. I'm going to be determined to um, figure out what's going on with her, figure out her bulimia issues, figure out her um, issues with, with why she was so, um, you know, angry all the time and just really dive deep into it um, and try to understand her love language uh, try to understand everything about her and her background and why she felt the need to lie to me about um, why she gave a child up for adoption when she was 18 and why she didn't tell me about that. What was her need for seeking out attention from other males, seeking out attention from other people? Um, what was I doing that wasn't enough for her? Um, 
which is perfect. I mean, that's perfect for a narcissist. That's exactly what they want is someone that's just going to do anything and everything for them. Um, even to the point where if I was feeling exhausted or sick or sleepy, um, I felt an intense amount of guilt and shame that was pushed on me, um, from her for, you know, when I'm sick, I do this, you know, you have a man flu or you, you know, just anything to, to degrade or, um, just downplay whatever situation I'm going through. If I'm just really exhausted from staying up with the kid all night, well, you know, it was always a, a competition as to who's more tired, who's more sick, who's more, um, who needs more rest. You know, if I'm sitting on the couch at that point, um, I was going to get yelled at if I was sitting on the couch for more than five minutes during the date. The only time I was allowed to sit down and relax was, you know, once everything in the house had been done, once I'd done all the cleaning, once I'd done the laundry, once I'd done this, once I'd done that, then, you know, she wouldn't give me a hard time because I'd done everything that she had needed accomplished for the day. Um, that's a fun thing that, you know, the guilting and shaming game is, is just a constant. Um, and it's always subtle. And if you try to call it out, um, there's not much to call out um, because it's just a small thing that they can easily weasel their way out of. Well, what do you mean? All I'm saying is blah, blah, blah. I'm only saying this. You're overreacting, you know, and you're, you know, it's just, it's just a constant mind game. Um, yeah, there's, there's one specific instance. I remember after moving back in, I ended up getting uh, a little bit of a better job. Um, and then I, I think Instagram was starting to come around and, um, I remember there were friends that I had on there from a long time ago and this and that, and she starts looking through, you know, questioning every single female that I add every single, even guys that I added. Um, but especially the females, um, and really like picking them apart and looking at their page and why would you add this person? I don't know who they are. Um, it's, you know, friends that I knew from high school or junior high or whatever, just, you know, following each other's pages, completely innocent stuff. Um, it got to the point where I would show up five minutes late from when I told her I was going to show up and I worked in sales at the time. And so sometimes sales would go late. Sometimes sales would go an hour late. Um, if I didn't notify her, if I didn't communicate with her, drop everything I'm doing in the middle of processing transactions and communicating with customers to cater to her um, and let her know exactly what's going on. Um, I mean, essentially, I was cheating on her, you know, and that was a, a theme, a general theme that went on from then on out. You know, I was cheating on her all the time um, in her mind. I wasn't. Um, but, you know, I'm five minutes late. You know, I'm screwing someone in my vehicle in a Walmart parking lot for all she knows. If I'm five minutes late, um, I'd go to buy Starbucks, you know, for her. I'd leave the house to go get her things and bring it back. And then, you know, one time she would go to Starbucks with me and they already knew my name. So therefore I must be fucking them because they knew my name because I was going there for her. And then it would turn into, well, why don't you go talk to the Starbucks girl? You know, anytime there was an argument, a Starbucks girl would get brought up or I would go to get groceries. Um, our local grocery store is called Wegmans. Um, you know, why do you go to Wegmans all the time? Why do you do that? Why are you always gone? You're always going to do something. But that was the dynamic that she created. That was the, the, the foundation that she created is, oh, I need this. Oh, I need that. Oh, I need this. Oh, I need that. Go get this. Go get that. And then once I'm going to do these things, the roles get reversed. And now... I'm probably in a relationship with someone from the local grocery store. <laughs> I mean, you never knew where the assaults were going to come from and where um, she was going to try to manipulate and control. And, and really, it's all about intimidation and control and um, causing you so much guilt and fear that they're always watching. Um, there's a lot of intimidation to that, knowing that they're always watching. Um, so even when nobody's around and I'm just talking with friends, um, you know, it got to a point to where it was like, you know, she didn't even have to belittle me as much anymore because she just knew I wouldn't 
dare cross her. Um, and I didn't. I was too scared. I was so confused. She had me so confused every time we'd go to hang out with friends, you know, questioning anything that I said to them, like, you know, you, you sounded like an idiot. Everyone agrees. That was so, you know, it was, that was uh, rude. Or why would you say whatever it was that I said when we were hanging out with friends, there's always some kind of comment that I would make that she would take, uh, blow it out of proportion, convince me that I was being um, irrational, convince me that I was being disgusting or rude or inconsiderate of others and that her friends would always agree with her. Um, I got to a point where I got sick of that and started emailing them or contacting them or talking to them on the side, like, Hey, did I really offend you with when I said this, um, you know, those types of things. And, and typically it was, Oh no, she brought it up. And I said, yeah, that seemed a little odd. Or, you know, I said, you know, so usually there would be something where she would bring something up, um, try to make me look like an asshole. Um, they would you know, kind of appease her or agree, or even sometimes they wouldn't say anything. Um, and, but they wouldn't disagree with her either. No one would disagree with her. Um, and so it got to a point where I was realizing and recognizing that she was, okay, she's really blowing this out of proportion. I don't know why she's doing this to me. You know, I still couldn't put my finger on it. Um, anyway, I didn't care. I just shut my mouth, did my role, quote unquote, and just kind of surrendered to the fact that this is my new role. Like, this is where I'm at. Like, I really had um, lost most of myself, most of myself. Um, unless I was at work, then I could feel like I could truly be myself. And what I found was that, you know, typically when it came to speaking about my spouse, all I could do was speak about negative things when I was talking to my friends at work, because that's all I felt towards her was negativity. And, and I was just sick of it, but I didn't know how to counteract it because I had no place to go. I had no finances to get there because at this point I was so intimidated and guilted and fearful um, of her and her words. I don't feel like I was emotionally stable enough to handle the words that she would start, you know, attacking me with if I was to ever leave again. <clears throat> um, talk started ramping up about marriage. Um, her mom really thought that it was time we were together for long enough. She really thought we needed to be married um, Nicole, well, yeah, the, the whole thing was, you know, the, you know, my ex wanted to, um, tie the knot. She wanted me to, you know, she wanted to marry me. Um, she thought that was the logical next step. She would start to kind of, you know, suggestive, um, you know, speaking, which, in a normal, you know, some relationships, that's normal. Some guys do put things off. Some girls do put things off, um, you know, and they would rather buy a pickup truck or rather buy a new whatever um, instead of um, buying a wedding ring or buying an engagement ring and really taking that next step in their life. I wasn't worried about taking that next step in my life, but I was worried about taking that next step in my life with her. Um I didn't feel comfortable with it, <clears throat> but at the same time, I knew that, you know, with my upbringing and everything else, that was kind of like my, I felt it to be my duty at that point. Um, problem is with every wedding or wedding, with every Christmas, with every birthday, with every 4th of July, Easter, everything had to be done big. Everything had to be kind of over the top. Um, I had to outdo last year. I had to outdo whatever I did before. Um, and that was a lot of pressure, um, because even that was never good enough. Um, it was never, um, I never did it right. Somehow I'd find a way to screw it up <clears throat> according to her. Um, and 
needless to say, typically the day before or the day of a birthday party or something like that, before the birthday party would start or before this would happen or that would happen, she would get very stressed out. She would get very angry. She would start accusing me of not helping, not doing anything when I'm running around like a crazy person um, because she wants to, you know, impress everybody with how wonderful she is and how great she can craft things, how great she can make a cake, how great she can host a party and have everything just perfect. Um, and, uh, you know, then I got most of the blame. Um, sometimes I would lash out. Sometimes she would just blame me before the day even started and say, you never help. You never do this. You never do that. Um, leaving me feeling like I really didn't ever do what she needed, which made me try even harder. But her mother was very insistent. Now I kind of understand why. Um, but at the time I, I, I mean, I just thought she was trying to be helpful. Um, but she took me with her. She's like, I'm, I, I'll get you the ring. You just have to pay me back when you can. Um, so I agreed to it. Um, which is so messed up looking back. Her mom basically took me to go in engagement ring shopping for her daughter, paid for the ring and basically was like, when are you going to ask her? When are you going to ask her? When are you going to ask her? You know, and I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And then it got to a point where I was just like, fuck it. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'll do it. Um, and so I decided I was going to do it on her birthday. Um, but when I did it, I just got so nervous and scared because I knew it was going to be wrong. And we had dinner plans that fell through. So then I wasn't able to do it when I wanted. Um, my ex was also putting a lot of pressure on me to, um, propose to her. And when was I going to, and, you know, so I was just kind of like, you know, she was sitting on the couch and I was just kind of like, I don't know what to say. Screw it. Like I had no mapped out plan. I didn't feel like, you know, you're the light of my life. You're my everything, blah, blah, blah. I didn't feel like this Hollywood romance was, was unfolding in front of me. I just kind of did it because I felt so much pressure from her and her mother, um, to do so. I felt like it, it just had to be done. And the plans that, you know, we were hoping for fell through. So I, there was no big grand gesture. It was, you know, her sitting on the couch in her pajamas and me just kind of like walking up and be like, well, I was going to do this at dinner, but since the plans fell through, screw it, here you go. And I kind of went down on one knee and tried to be as genuine as I could. Um, I was super nervous, but I think I was I was less super nervous because of the words that I was saying and more super nervous of, am I screwing this up? Am I screwing this up? Is she going to be mad? Is she going to hold this against me? Is she going to do this? You know, um, needless to say, she did. Um, she would tell that story frequently um, and make me seem like this doofy, you know, male buffoon that um, was just kind of rampaging through life like a Pokemon character. Um, with no brain in between my ears, um, just doing stupid things and finding a way to screw everything up. Um, and then her friends would laugh at it because she would say it in a very joking way and it would come across as very playful and teasing. Um, when in reality she was cutting, um, and she knew what she was doing and she was doing harm. Um, but she would do it in a playful way to where if I was to ever question her or ask her not to do it, um, you know, I couldn't take a joke and how dare I accuse her of such things. Um, you know, well, you are the idiot that did this. You are the idiot that did blah, blah, blah. Like, and I was just being playful. Like, why are you so serious? Why are you taking everything so serious? Like you're such a loser. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard you're such a loser. Um, from her, um, failure, loser, backwoods, hillbilly, um, which is weird because New Mexico didn't, I didn't even grow up around woods. <laughs> uh, but that's just a like, uh, you know, literal, um, <clears throat> I know she was speaking figuratively because I grew up from a small town. So therefore I must be this way. Um, and it was just a way to be insulting to me as a person and try to hurt and harm who I was. 
um, and the more she can hurt and harm me, um, the smaller I feel, um, the less strength I'll have to ever abandon or leave her. Um, and it worked for many years. So I ended up in getting engaged to her. Um, my son was getting older. Um, along that time, um, <clears throat> I remember there was a Christmas that, that, uh, it was Christmas Eve and she got mad at me, I think because I was tired and she wanted me to do something for her. And I was just absolutely exhausted. Um, and I fell asleep. I think I fell asleep possibly rubbing her back, which always seemed to be a strong point of aggravation for her because she wanted me to rub her back every night. She was always in pain and her pain was always 10 times worse than anyone else's. Um, so I think, you know, she was asking me to rub her back, which is what she did every night. And I didn't like doing it. And usually like I would just pass out rubbing her back because I would just be exhausted from doing everything else for her and the strain and stress of our relationship. Um, I think a lot of times my escape was to sleep. My only safe time was sleeping. Um, and, um, she got mad at me. I don't remember what it was. Then she jumped up and started screaming at me and I was half asleep and I was like, what the hell, you know, and got mad back at her and I actually barked back and she was holding the phone in her hand. And at the time we had a cordless phone, um, cause we shared a cell phone still at that point. So she had the phone, the home phone in her hand and just chucked it at me. Um, cause I was in the bed, um, and I wasn't getting up to do whatever she wanted me to do. Um, I don't remember exactly why it happened, but she chucked a home phone at me. So this is the second time she's thrown a phone at me and both times hit me square in the face. So, I mean, of all the dumb luck, but it hit me right on the cheek, um, with a cordless phone and immediately like, you know, I started seeing stars and my face started pulsating and I jumped up and I was like, why would you do that? You know, I started, you know, yelling, like, you just hit me in the face. You just hit me in the face. She was like, oh, come on. I didn't mean to. Uh, but this isn't the first time she'd thrown things at me. She never always, you know, hit me every time. But um, there were many glasses, too, like, you know, cups that that had been thrown at me. Um, one of which was a, a full smoothie that was for my son. And she got mad at me. And threw it and hit me right in front of my son and it exploded like this green smoothie juice everywhere all over the kitchen and he remembered that and I think he was three or four at the time and he spoke about that with me throughout the years many times like oh like that one time she threw that cup you remember that one time you threw that cup at dad I was so sad you know and she would get upset by it and like don't talk about that don't talk that's not who I am anymore and and in reality it 100% is who she was um, <clears throat> cause she continued to do it, but she hit me in the face with a phone. Um, turns out I had a, like a, a hairline skull fracture. Um, my face was all puffy. Um, she got in my face, um, threatened to call the police that I was abusing her when I never even put my hands on her, um, other than to try to grab the phone from her. Um, and then I said, screw it, call the cops, call the cops. So she called the cops, the cops show up. Um, they were ready to take me to jail because she was telling them that I was abusing her. Um, but when they got there, they saw there was no markings on her at all. And they could see that my eye was swelling and that my cheek was really swollen. And then they asked me what happened. Um, and I said that she threw a phone at my face and then I had scratch marks on my arm, um, from when I was trying to get by her in the doorway when she was blocking the doorway. So in the kit, in the living, in, let me back up. I got hit in the phone, in the face with a phone that I stood up. I was angry. I was in pain. I tried to walk by her and she was blocking me in the doorway, which is, uh, you know, a typical move that she would do to try to intimidate me or, um, initiate contact. So as soon as I would try to get by her, um, she would say that I was attacking her, um, which is what she did in this case. And I tried to push by her cause I was going to go to the bathroom or escape, try to get away, just get away, just get away from me. Um, and then she threatened to call the cops and then I tried to grab the phone from her and 
And then I was like, screw this, you know, and then I just went to the bathroom and waited for the cops to show up. Once they showed up, I came out of the bathroom, started talking to them, trying to tell them my story. They weren't really listening to me. They wanted to talk to her first. They pulled me outside, um, told me that, you know, if a call like this gets made, someone's going to jail. Um, once they looked at my face, they saw that I was, you know, being understanding, telling them the situation. Um, once they saw my face and they heard my side of the story and actually listened, they were like, yeah, look at his face. And the other officer came over and they were both looking at my face and, you know, I told them what happened and they were like, do you have anywhere you can go? Yes, I do. So, um, I did have a friend from work. I felt really horrible about contacting him, but I did. Um, he, he did offer his couch to me. It's not like I could live there, but he said, Hey, if you ever need a safe place to go for the night or anything like that, let me know. Um, so, um, the cops let me go. They, I didn't get arrested. There was no marks on her. There was no markings. Um, they asked if I wanted to press charges on her. I said, no, um, looking back, I should have would have made my life for the future a lot easier, but I didn't have the support at that point or the knowledge that I have now on how to handle that situation. So, um, <clears throat> I ended up leaving and then the next morning was Christmas day. Then I had to drive back knowing like her grandfather was there, her grandmother, her mom, her stepdad. Um, I didn't know how deep at this point her stepdad's, um, hatred was for her. Um, he really doesn't like her. He sees right through all that she is. Um, but, uh, I didn't know that at the time. I mean, you know, I, so, so I show up and, my son's already awake, um, waiting to open presents and they were all waiting on me. And I had to have the walk of shame and guilt. Like I had done something wrong. Um, it was awful. Um, but that happened. Um, another incident we had, um, there's just so many small things, you know, there was a girl that I worked with that she met and she talked about how she liked basketball and she liked LeBron James. And then, you know, the playoffs roll around and LeBron James was on TV and I was watching basketball, which I liked basketball. Um, and then, you know, it was, oh, do you like basketball now? Because this girl likes basketball and, you know, because she loves LeBron James, you love LeBron James, you know, um, it didn't matter that this girl was a lesbian and she had no interest in me whatsoever. Um, it was just to make me feel horrible. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> I started, she made, she asked me to make her and my son tea before bed one night. Um, and these are all just small examples, you know, um, she asked her, you know, my son to make tea or may, asked me to make tea for my son. Um, and then I made a cup for myself and she got really confused. And then she started questioning, like, who are you making, like, who are you drinking tea with? You never drink tea. Why are you drinking tea? Like who's influencing your life right now? Um, and I kind of pause and I go, whoa, 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 <laughs> wait. So you're telling me because I took a sip of the tea and thought it tasted good and thought, Hey, I'll make myself a cup of tea. You're insinuating that I'm, sleeping with someone else because I'm making tea for myself. And, you know, then she flips the script and says, whoa, 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 I'm not insinuating that at all. You seem really guilty. You seem really defensive. Is there something going on that I should know about? I wasn't thinking you were cheating on me, but maybe you are. Are you cheating on me? You are cheating on me, aren't you? I knew it. I knew you were cheating on me. I just, I was just waiting for you to admit it. And I, me being the pun person that I am, I started joking around and kind of making fun of her, which was probably not the best thing to do, but it was just such a ridiculous accusation and such a twisted, like blatant, you know, twisting of my words to get what she wanted out of me. I was just kind of like, you know, I think I said something like, yep, this is my tea because I perform adulter, adulter tea you know, and then I started saying things like, I'm going to make a whole line of teas. And then I started thinking about it and I said, I'm going to make one called infidelity. Um, and then, I'll, and then I said, I can make one for you too, called hostility. And, uh, you know, I just kept going with it, which made her more and more angry. And she ended up, you know, throwing her, uh, teacup at me. Um, you know, she missed that time, but, 
Um, it exploded on the floor and turned into a whole deal and, you know, don't make fun of me. Don't make fun of me. And, you know, there's, there's, it's just, there's just so many things during that chapter from when I moved back in to when we got married that were just crazy. She pulled a knife out once, told me to leave the house. Um, I don't even remember what it was about, but I pulled out the video camera once she pulled the knife out and I had the camera facing her. Um, she made reference to her father, who's this Italian guy who has allegedly connections with some pretty dark people and allegedly with mob you know, type stuff, which I don't even know how accurate that is or true in any way. Um, you know, but you know, she threatened, like, you don't know who my dad is. My dad will do anything for me, even though her dad was never around. Um, but whatever, um, you know, she pulled a knife out on me, um, just all these intimidation tactics and techniques she would use. And I pulled my camera out and I said, what are you doing? And she just kind of looked at me and I'll never forget it because I watched it over and over again on the, on the video. And, you know, she just said, I'm making dinner. And she'd said it really, you know, just blank stare, robotic. I'm making dinner. What are you doing? And I said, I'm recording you because you pulled a knife out because you're mad at me. And she goes, oh no, 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 no. I didn't do that. I'm just going to make dinner right now. And I was pulling out the knife that I needed. And I was like, okay, I'm going to leave. And then she goes, yeah, that's probably for the best. You know, and I just kind of kept the camera on her, shut the door, put my shoes on and, you know, got the hell out of there. Um, and then I, you know, called her out on it later. I didn't think, I, I think I stayed at a friend's that night too. Um, you know, and she's like, I don't know what you were talking about. Like you're being ridiculous. I was just making dinner. Like I was getting food ready. You just blow everything out of proportion. Um, you know, if I hadn't recorded it, um, and really like documented anything. And again, that would have been another situation. I would have been convinced, eventually convinced, you know, she says things over and over and over and over again until it beats into your head that this is what it is. Um, you can make the connection with, um, Donald Trump and the media and the fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news, you know, stealing, they're stealing the vote. They're stealing the vote. They're stealing the vote. The more, you know, adamant you are and the more confident you are and the more you say things you can really convince massive amounts of people of things that just are not true um it's terrifying even when all the facts are there you know people will still believe it when you're confident enough with no proof you know blind faith alone um and that's how these narcissists operate um and it's crazy. I mean, I, you know, I hope that a lot of you have never dealt with anything like this, but if you have, um, hopefully this is, you know, confirmation to you, um, of some things, you know? Um, so, uh, I mean, those are some of the examples of things that happened during that time frame. There was no more major discoveries of, um, you know, cheating incidents. It was more or less, she kept doing her modeling thing. Um, but things seemed to be better when it came to, um, that part of it. Um, she did get really happy, even though my fears were confirmed, you know, she did give me grief for the rest of the time I was with her to all of her friends or all of her new friends or new people that would come in and out of her life because she couldn't keep solid friends tell the story of how I proposed to her and how un, um, romantic it was and how stupid it was and everything else. You know, my fears were confirmed because I did do it in a, a non-authentic way because it wasn't really that authentic for me. I felt like it was something I needed to do and I was more afraid of her than I was of marrying her. I was more afraid of her reaction at that moment. Like I wasn't even thinking in my right mindset that this is like the rest of my life that I'm going to have to deal with this. If I make this decision, it was more just pressure, 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 pressure. And I just kind of was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Here, here's the ring. Will you marry me? <laughs> it was really silly. Um, so, um, yeah. And then as it got closer to my wedding, um, there were things that were happening, I guess that, 
you know, I still had a couple friends that I was close with, but I wasn't too, too close with. Um, I invited one of my friends, a couple of my friends to come that didn't make it. I find out later once I finally left her, you know, that they didn't, they basically didn't want to come because they didn't care for her. Um, which I didn't even know. And I think that a lot of them were too afraid to, because they would say, yeah, you just kind of constantly defended her and you didn't seem like you anymore. You seemed robotic and it was kind of scary. Um, my best friend growing up, he didn't come to my wedding. His, he was the one that I, uh, tried to get to come pick me up who lived about four hours from where I lived. Um, and I asked him to be the best man at my wedding, which is what we promised each other as children we would do. Um, and he was kind of going through a similar situation. Again, I don't know if it was, you know, if she was necessarily a narcissist or not, but there was definitely some uh, mental disorders there. Um, but she had him convinced that I was a horrible person and she didn't want to go to my wedding. And he said that they didn't have the money to come to my wedding. And, you know, I offered to buy them a flight here and offered all these things. And he, he said, no, no, no. Come to find out during the same time as my wedding. Um, they went on a two week road trip to Rhode Island and took pictures with his other friend and all these other people that, that she approved of, um, which was very hurtful to me for a while. Um, but then I rekindled that relationship with him and realized some of the the things that I had done wrong in my friendship with him, even growing up that I don't think he even realized were, were wrong. Um, you know, and now we don't speak that often. Um, but we're like brothers, you know, when I do reach out to him and we do have time to talk, it's like we picked up where we left off. He's, he's, we are linked at the hip, um, forever. Um, great guy, but he didn't end up going to my wedding, um, because of my ex, um, my family ended up coming and, uh, you know, then my family comes and she pretends like they're sisters and she's always wanted sisters and this and that, and the wedding rolls around and the chaos before the wedding. And I had no say in anything for the wedding. Really. I just kind of, you know, kept my mouth shut and just kind of, said okay to pretty much everything. Um, and then, uh, after that, my, my family came in. Um, there was some things that happened with my family during that point that everyone seemed to know, but me, um, there was a lot of chaos at that point, but even like at the altar, I ended up crying, but I think I was still crying when I was giving my vows because I was there was a part of me that was afraid, like, this isn't going to be good enough for her. This isn't, this isn't going to be good enough. She's still going to give me grief. She's still going to think that my speech was stupid. Um, and I did wait till the last minute for it because I couldn't think I was not inspired, not inspired at all to write my own vows. Um, I couldn't think of nice things to say. So when I said them, I think I kind of cried when I was saying them, which seemed like it was super genuine, which it was, but it was genuine for the wrong reasons. It was more like, I love you. Please don't hate me. Uh, I just want to make this work. Please don't, you know, please. I hope this is good enough for you. That's what I was feeling inside as I'm giving my vows versus a marriage of equality and true unconditional love, just pure joy and tears of joy. It wasn't tears of joy. It was tears of fear. Um, yeah, it was awful. We ended up buying a house, um, shortly after that. Um, and, um, yeah, a lot of the things with the house were, you know, her father came into some money. He put money down on the house, um, which then I was guilted for that, um, that I didn't save enough money. Um, we had to get it through a private investor because my credit was kind of screwed up from, uh, previous debts that were incurred throughout the course of our relationship, uh, like credit card debts and different things because she wanted the best of everything. She wanted the biggest birthday parties and most gifts for Christmases. And a lot of times I was trying to make ends meet and found myself in debt. Um, when I should be paying bills, I was getting, um, aggressively harassed for not buying her what she wanted for her birthday. And I was living under this constant fear of intimidation of, um, 
wanting to give her everything. And yet at the same time, my credit card payments were adding up. My bills were adding up. I wasn't able to support the shopping habits she had. I mean, there were times where she basically said, fuck you, I'm walking home when I wouldn't buy her a shirt at a store that we should have never been in in the first place, but she would just beg me to go shopping. And then when we, and I would tell her we wouldn't have the money and we would go. And in the store, she would look at something and start doing the pouty voice and saying, please, please, you know, I really love this. This is so great. And when I would say, honey, we really don't have the money. When I tell you that, I'm not telling you that because I'm trying to ruin your hope here, but we shouldn't be here anyway. You know, and how dare you speak about that in public? How dare you talk about our finances in front of other people? You're disgusting, you know, and then would just storm away from me. And then, you know, I'd follow her and be like, are you serious right now? I told you we shouldn't even be here. Like, fuck you. I'm walking home and then leave. You know, that happened enough times to where it was conditioned in me to where I don't ever want that to happen again. I don't ever want that to happen again. So I would find myself in a, you know, she would place me in these catch 22 situations to where either I'm buying her what she wants or, you know, she's going to be pissed off at me, but I'll pay the bills, you know, which I, I, I allowed that, but at the same time, I didn't know what else to do. Um, there had been enough of the, uh, abuse that was physical at that point, um, that was intimidating, um, that was very, it was very tactical. Everything she did was very strategic. Um, she knew what she was doing and she took advantage of me and she took advantage of my finances and then would turn around and tell her mom, we're broke, we're broke, we're broke. We can't even pay our bills. Our electric's about to get shut off. Anytime we'd get a shut off notice, she would call her mom. Um, her mom would bail us out and then her mom would hold it against me and say that, I don't know how to run finances. You know, Nicole tells me you don't know how to run finances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and, and so it was just, it was just a mess. So there was a lot of final financial abuse that happened, um, during that time, but we ended up getting a house. Um, uh, by the time, you know, there, there was a lot of things that happened there and it seemed like once the house was bought and she was kind of getting the things she wanted from me, I did move up. I got a better position within my company. So I was kind of able to make ends meet to a degree. Um, but it was just never enough. Um, there's always the, the moving of the goalposts with narcissists, you know, if she can convince me that I need to do the dishes every day, then she convinces me that I need to do, to do the laundry every morning, then, you know, somehow do all my work and then make her coffee and make me coffee and make the kids food and do this and do that. You know, it's just a constant moving of the goalposts. And if I wasn't doing, even if I was doing everything that was asked of me, then something else would be wrong. Now the bathroom's dirty. You know, how can you not keep up with the bathroom? It's so disgusting. You know, so the next thing you know, now, there's more things added on and more things added on and more things added on to where it was just never enough. You can never satisfy a narcissist. And if you're trying, stop it. You're not crazy. You're not a loser. You're not an idiot. It's the narcissist beating you down strategically, slowly. It's like, I always said, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. I mean, it's just a bunch of small things that just kind of, you know, are very calculated and, you know, you, you have so many small things, you don't know which one to really pinpoint as being the worst because none of them really stick out as the worst. Um, but they're all just, they just kind of add up, um, to where eventually you're dead, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, I think that's when I started after we got married and the few years after that, things started to level out. Um, it seemed like we were okay. She started talking about wanting another child. It seemed like we were finally in a position where we like were comfortable. Part of it was because I wasn't battling her anymore and she kind of had me where she wanted me. Um, and then she wanted another child and I felt like 
at this point, I didn't realize she was a narcissist. It's like, okay, things are going good. You know, maybe this could work. Maybe this could work, you know, try to forget about all the, the shit that had happened with the first child. She really wanted a girl. The first time she cried for a week. Um, she really wanted a girl with the second one. Um, so we ended up trying, we ended up having a second child. Um, and then things were okay. The pregnancy was better. Um, it still seemed like she was kind of in a position where we were doing okay. When I say okay, like in comparison to her cheating on me and sneaking out of the house and doing all these other crazy things. Um, but I was convinced that there was enough there to work on that I was able to kind of maybe steady the ship a little bit. Um, but again, it came back to the death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, there was enough things of the moving of the goalposts and these things that were adding up and the constant competition of, of different things and her constant changing of, um, her, who she wanted to, to, you know, view herself to the world as, or view herself to her friends as, and how I was kind of the punchline for all of her jokes. Um, and how I was always the one, the victim was her. And I was always the one that was kind of, you know, leading the charge against why she was so downtrodden, why she could never make things happen, you know, financially, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it might be. Um, I was her scapegoat for all of her issues. Um, and I was sick of it. I was really sick of it. Um, you know, I did, I did a really good job surviving in that relationship as long as I did. Um, without having suicidal thoughts, honestly, and that's not being dramatic. It was, it was many people, um, have committed suicide when they're in a relationship with a narcissist or get killed by a narcissist. Um, it was really scary to think about, um, after the child was born, um, well, you know, I mean, maybe I, I kind of, I think I'm going to end this episode here, um, and discuss once the second child was born, um, in a future episode. Um, and that might bring us up to date, um, to where we are currently, maybe one or two more episodes will do the trick. Um, yeah, probably two more episodes. Um, but yeah, um, there's a lot to unload, um, so much so that it can't be done in any kind of cohesive manner. I feel like, because I've, I've been bombarded for so many years with different attacks to my character and my personality and just who I am as a core person, um, from her and pretty much every different angle possible. And it's almost, um, impossible to really absorb everything you've gone through when you're abused by a narcissist. Um, and when you start to take it all in, it can be very emotionally heavy but I feel like if you're out of a relationship and you were in a relationship with a narcissist, um, it is good to go back and view them as who they really are. Sometimes it's good to revisit those things, especially if they are trying to come back into your life or you aren't able to go no contact and you have to communicate with them and they're starting to the, do the Hoover process and suck you back in. Um, <clears throat> by the, uh, I love you. I'll never treat you like this and blah, blah, blah type tactics to really have things documented and, and remember who they are. Remember who they truly are at their core, because they're not going to change. You can't change them. You can't fix them. Um, and you got to move on. And if you can go no contact, God, I wish I could. I really do. 
um, the anxiety I feel every time I have to pick up my kids or have to even email her um, about anything um, is very real. Um, the trauma she has caused to my, you know, psychological well-being um, is going to take many years for me to repair, and I'm still going through it, and I probably always will. Um, so I'm trying to go as no contact as I can, but there are some things I have to communicate with her on and it's hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's always good to go back and document and remember, um, who they truly are with their mask off because that's who they are. Not when their mask is on and they're showing the world how great and wonderful they are and charming everyone around them and, having you by their side at dinner parties or bars or get togethers and parading you around. Um, like we're the perfect couple. Um, everyone saying positive things to you about how wonderful you are, how great you guys look together. You guys look like you're so in love. I mean, it's all a facade. You get home, that mask comes off. That's who they are. Just don't forget that. You know, if you're still dealing with things, if you're still having a hard time or feeling hazy or foggy about certain things, um, questioning who you are, like, you know, these are, these are things to remember, like they do damage for years. Um, so just be strong. Um, hopefully, uh, the next, yeah, hopefully it'll, it'll probably be about a week before I'll be able to do another podcast. Um, but I'll, um, do part four shortly. And I look forward to, uh, telling you guys more of my story. Um, feel free to email me. It's listed on, uh, my page there. Um, if you have a story that you want to share with me, or if it's something that in the future you want to, um, share with, uh, the podcast, um, on future episodes or, or just kind of, you know, need to talk about, you know, things that are going on in your life, um, to someone who has been through it and understands, um, let me know. Um, I appreciate everyone for listening. Um, I hope you have a great day. Um, thank you.